What happens when governments around the world ban their citizens from owning guns? What will happen in America? This is Brief Before Impact. Hey, welcome everyone. I am Matt Parker. Thank you for joining me. If I'm not mistaken, I think today is episode 100, which is kind of wild. Started this thing back in January 2021. Thanks for everyone who's uh, listened to one or all 100 episodes. Pretty crazy. Let me get it right into what today's brief is all about. Normally, as you all know, I tend to keep in the geopolitical lane. This might sound more domestic than normal, but what we're doing today is today's brief is evaluating the actions of other countries when it's related to the gun rights of their their citizens and connecting how if we're forecasting into the future what might play out in the United States or what some would like to see so I'm going to cover two specific examples make that three Australia China and Canada kind of moving through a timeline and then using a couple of recent examples of how we could perhaps envision something happening in the United States so before I get into all of that, let me take a quick app break, then we'll get to work. All right, welcome back, everyone. What I'd like to do is start about punishments during COVID-19. What I mean by punishments is if a country said you cannot go outside, what happened when their civilians went outside? We're going to focus on Australia and China today. Let's start this off here. Now, I'm telling you this episode overall is about gun rights of civilians in other countries. But I'm using COVID as the most recent example of an extraordinary global lockdown that we all experience so we can relate to. Okay, let's start with Australia. According to the New York Post, the state of South Australia, they developed an app an application for their phones to enforce home quarantines. So the news report explains, quote, the app will contact people at random, asking them to provide proof of their location within 15 minutes. If they fail to do so, the health department will notify the police who will send officers to check on the malfactor. Just let that example roll around your head while I continue here. Continuing on, unrestricted travel is a hallmark of free society, but Australians can barely leave the country. Travel has been cut off between states, creating an arbitrary patchwork of states trying to isolate themselves from COVID cases elsewhere. Tens of thousands of Australians have been trapped overseas, unable to come back come back home because of monthly limits on how many people can return. All of this economic and social disruption and coercion hasn't been enough to stamp out the Delta variant, which is outrunning the government, <clears throat> which is outrunning the government controls. Federal Premier Scott Morrison finally admitted the obvious quote, This is not a sustainable way to live in this country, end quote. Lockdowns have cut a swath through the norms and conventions of an advanced Western democracy, from the suspension of a state-level parliament to the banning of protests to military enforcement of the COVID rules. With the Delta surge, more than half of Australians are locked, often in response to a tiny number of cases. Again, this was a New York Post article written during the height of COVID and how Australian citizens were responding to the uh, enormous lockdowns. Think about what they pointed out here in this article and an application for your phone. If you can't tell me where you are, then I'm going to call the cops. They're going to come and find you or arrest you. Think about that for a second. What a this Western society is built on a few principles. One of them is individual liberty, individual liberty. This scenario that we all went through in COVID. Early on, the data was so weak, we, we, many countries, including the United States, 
took dramatic steps because we didn't know what was going to happen. Data came in. More, more clarity was provided. Yet these kind of draconian lockdowns continued here and abroad. So keep this example in mind, okay? Locking down civilians, quote, this is not a sustainable way to live in, a, in this country, right? Think about this. All right. And according to BBC, in July of 2021, okay, thousands gathered in Sydney, Australia, where smaller protests were in Melbourne and Brisbane. People chanted freedom as they marched through the center of Sydney. Officers said they had made 57 arrests. Australian governments have reimposed lockdowns across the country amid a surge of new infections. A couple of other principles here that you and I can appreciate being in a free Western society is <clears throat> freedom to uh, the right to peacefully assemble according to our constitution. The examples of being able to protest a government's actions, this is a hallmark of a Western society because in fact we believe that it is the people, you and I, that elect a few representatives to go out and carry out our best interests within the government, limiting its mandate. The example I'm reading here in Australia is the government thinking it knows what's best, going well, well beyond its mandate in, in order to control a population. Now, you could say, Matt, hold on now. You're getting over your skis. This is J July 2021. We all know the data was revealing itself at that period of time, not just here in the United States. More importantly, abroad, we recognize who were the most vulnerable in society. Yet governments demanded, they took a, a giant paintbrush, broad strokes, not nuanced at all, just like, nope, you're all locked down. So think about this example. Let's pivot here to China. According to NPR, um, in November, passerby spontaneous, this is uh, not too long ago, a passerby spontaneously began laying bouquets of flowers near a sign for Arumki Road, which is a major commercial software, or excuse me, a major commercial thoroughfare in uh, in Shanghai. And the, it's in remembrance of victims of an apartment fire in the city of Arumki um, that the road was named after. Residents also shared pictures of the bouquets on social media, bringing even more people out to the street. Hours later, hundreds of people had gathered, and the atmosphere grew rowdier, according to two people in VR interviewed after the demonstration. One person began shouting for Xi, Xi Jinping, the president of, of the Communist, Chinese Communist Party, calling for Xi to step down, a call echoed by dozens of other demonstrators. Now, three days after that vigil, held near uh, Beijing's Liang uh, Ma River, the Chinese Communist Party's top security body, the Central Legal and Political Affairs Commission, vowed to, quote, result, uh, resolutely crack down on infiltration and sabotage activities by hostile forces and illegal and criminal acts that disrupt social order. Now, the security forces working theory seems to be that a group of feminists influenced by Western ideas organized the demonstrations, end quote, says a friend of several of the vigil attendees who were arrested. Attendees denied such allegations, emphasizing the vigils were merely held to express how frustrated they were by nearly three years of China's zero-COVID policy that had left people literally starving or trapped in their own homes and destroyed the economy. An, an anonymous individual there said, quote, if even ordinary people like my friends who peacefully participated in the vigil can be arrested, anyone can be taken. Think about that backdrop. We all remember the lockdowns from COVID. China and Australia governments are literally locking their own citizens 
in jail because of their frustrations with a policy that, frankly, in many instances was more damaging than what is helpful. Okay? That's what fear will do to governments. All right, so keep that in your mind, and we're going to do a little bit of backdrop here. Now that we have that in our in, for context, we're going to pivot over to Canada for a moment here. A recent legislation that was passed is Canada has banned purchases, sales, and transfers of handguns. Um, the original law that passed came out last year actually rolled up law-abiding owners of commonly known long guns. That would be like a shotgun or a hunting rifle. So the government has recently attempted to clarify that the new law uh, is, an, is an effort to target gun violence, not law-abiding farmers and hunters. Okay, uh, We're going to read you some reporting according to the NRA, National Rifle Association. Take it with a grain of salt, as you will. But let's listen to this for reference. In a seeming attempt to manage the backlash, their federal public safety minister, Marco Mendocino in Canada, made an acknowledgment that the affected gun owners should qualify for government compensation. Quote, we have not yet made a final decision on that because we do not know what the final outcome of either amendments or the bill is, but it's very important to me that we're seen to be fair and equitable to law-abiding gun owners, end quote. So at the same time, though he maintained that the objective was to ban just, quote, guns that were designed for wartime for the battlefield, that is the judgment of this government. It is the intent of the government to focus on those guns and not hunting rifles, end quote. So again, that's the, that's Mendocino, the same public official last October when pressed about his political colleagues uh, about the cost of implementing the 2020 confiscation law. He declined to answer, but stated that the government intends to be very transparent about the cost, the costing around the buyback program. So there was more of the same kind of empty muddled rhetoric from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who had commented in his government that his government was continuing to quote move forward with strong, smart gun control that respects law-abiding gun owners and won't apply to hunting rifles or shotguns. And he pledged to make sure that we're not capturing weapons that are primarily hunting weapons, uh, but the value of that commitment already made in 2020 can be judged by the government's actions since that time. So let me make one comment before we move again over to a recent protest by Canadian truckers. Whenever I hear this phrase, you know, a weapon made for war, I really have to pause and say, what, what weapon, what small arms weapon, handgun, shotgun, rifle, what weapon could you argue isn't made for war? If for war you mean just by a professional military conducting uh, operations against either combat, uh, enemy combatants or another professional military, every gun qualifies in that space. And I want to, Whenever they say, you know, smart gun control, there are no law-abiding gun owners. I'm just going to speak my, for myself, and I'm making a leap here, but I'm going to speak for others. No one who's a law-abiding gun owner who owns a gun in order for self-defense, for his, the protection of his or her own, her own home, his family, uh, et cetera, out and about in community. No one wants someone who's not capable and responsible to carry a gun and to own a gun, frankly. If you're mentally incapable of doing so, I don't want you to own a gun. There has to, and I'm being very broad with the language, what does that mean, mentally incapable? I think this the episode today isn't about drawing out what good gun control looks like or what it's not. But for example, we already have laws in place that say like a felon can't own guns, for example. 
there are practical things that I think law-abiding gun owners can easily get behind. I want people to get a background check. Do they have? Have they? Are they a you know a felon? Do they have a history of domestic violence? I'm just filling in some you know some hypothetical blanks here. Uh, universal checks. Yes, I have every gun I've ever purchased. I had to get a background check. There are you can't go to a gun show and not get a background check. There, there's no such thing as like buying guns without some kind of uh, gun show loop. Doesn't exist. Not real. Made up. Not true. Now you can get into the issue of well, I bought this gun. Now I'm transferring it to a friend or a cousin. Private purchase. Private sell. All these things are very nuanced, but no one wants to have that nuanced conversation. It's just blanket weapons of war, assault weapons. What does that even mean? That's so intellectually weak. This is all I want. If someone wants to make an argument for gun control, then be very specific, be very particular. You know, draw it out to absolute specificity. Now, that might be a problem with just modern American politics, meaning that we have an attention span of all of 10 seconds. So we need sound bites and clips and get right to something that's emotionally triggering, you know, smart gun control or guns kill people, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. But this is all I'd like to see. Like I'm, I'm all I want is if people carry guns, I want them to be highly trained and highly effective with those guns. That's how I believe a safe, you know, we can, we'll get into this later a bit about violence and why this violence is happening. But all I'd like to see is the, debate about gun ownership to be just more nuanced and more specific rather than if you see an innocent person get murdered with a gun, you clearly don't care because you're still advocating for gun rights. Yeah, I I despise that kind of that logic because it's so weak. And it's not based on, I don't think, authenticity of thought. I think it's purely based on a, an emotionally triggering scenario. And that's not how good policy is made. Whether you like it or not, in this type of democracy, that's how we have to muddle through these things. And you have to, if you want to convince me of your ideas, then have them well-founded in facts and data. That's all That's all I'd like to see. So, take that. We talked about Australia and China and the COVID lockdowns. We, we saw that Canada recently banning the purchases, sales, transfers of handguns. Do you all remember reading about the uh, Canadian trucker protest? Let me go through a timeline. I'm going to give you a bunch of dates and how this progressed. Long story short, <clears throat> Canadian truckers were upset about the vaccine mandates that were being laid on them. So they just protested and like held up a bunch of highways right along the American border, especially um, that prevented the movement of goods and trade across the border. It was a peaceful uh, protest as far as I, I saw the reporting on. I don't know if there was any v- mass scales of violence. I didn't hear about any. Uh, there were any squabbles between people and the cops or you know, physical violence. I, I honestly don't remember. So I'll leave that open to say maybe it did happen. But as I recall, overall, this is more or less a peaceful protest. And it was over a, a, gr- a good period of time. And I'm going to walk through some timeline here. Now, this is according to Reuters. This is November of uh, 19, <clears throat> November 19th of 2021. Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, uh, government announces that all cross-border truck drivers will be subject to mandatory vaccine and quarantine requirements uh, from Jan- starting January 5th of that following year. The Trucking Industry Association has warned the mandates could intensify supply chain disruptions, but opposes protest on public roads. Okay, So just keep in mind, these are truck drivers who sit in a truck for eight hours a day by themselves 
and crossing the border back and forth, very isolating kind of job. And the Canadian government said, y'all have to get vaccines. Okay. So that was November 19th. The following year, January 28th, a convoy largely consisting of trucks starts arriving in Ottawa from across Canada opposing the vaccine mandate. A similar requirement is in place for the United States. January 29th, thousands of protesters under the banner, the Freedom Convoy 2022, hold a loud but peaceful protest in downtown Ottawa. February 5th, protesters occupy downtown Ottawa. And second straight weekend, the protests spread to other cities, including the financial capital Toronto. February 6th, Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson declares a state of emergency. February 7th, police seize thousands of liters of fuel and remove an oil tanker supplying the trucks. A court grants an interim injunction preventing people from sounding horns in downtown Ottawa. So if you honk your horn, you get in trouble. February 7th, again, protesters start blocking the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor, Ontario, the busiest crossing between Canada and the United States. The protesters block other border points in Alberta and uh, Manitoba. February 11th, a Canadian judge orders an end of the blockade of the Ambassador Bridge, and the province of Ontario declares a state of emergency. Protesters defy the court order and remain. February 13th, Ambassador Bridge reopens after a six-day blockade as Canadian police clear protesters. February 15th, excuse me, Trudeau invokes rarely used special emergency measures to tackle protest. Let me read a little about the Emergencies Act. Under the Emergencies Act, the government introduced measures intended to cut off protesters' funding and took steps to reinforce uh, provincial and local law enforcement with federal police. (coughs) Excuse me. Quote, the blockades are harming our economy and endangering public safety, Trudeau told in a news conference. We cannot and will not allow illegal and dangerous activities to continue. So the financial measures bringing crowdfunding platforms under terror finance oversight that authorized Canadian banks to freeze accounts suspected of funding the blockades and suspend insurance on vehicles in the protests. That's from the finance minister, Christia Freeland. So think what we just went through. A group of individuals who for a living drive trucks, usually by themselves, for hours on end of the day, not mingling in crowds of thousands. They were mandated to take the vaccine. They didn't like that. So they protest by blocking a very important bridge. The government then says, all right, no problem. We're going to freeze bank accounts of blue-collar, low- to middle-income earners because you contributed $50 to like some GoFundMe page for the, the trucker convoy. Like There are multiple stories provided by other commentators about this. This is a drastic overreach of government power in a, in a, a, a non-threat scenario, for crying out loud. People saying, no, I don't want to take this vaccine. There was no like get together and say, how can we work this out? No, it's like, no, we're going to freeze bank accounts. We're going to immediately diminish your ability to operate as an individual in this country. So think back. Australia and China, COVID lockdowns, extreme measures. Neither of those countries, the citizens can own guns. Canada says, took away the crowdfunding ability, froze bank accounts, um, use these special emergency measures to, to tackle these protests because they, they weren't on the side of Trudeau's political agenda. Not, not 
going back to the summer of 2020, whenever he was in the streets with thousands of people protesting. But no, he didn't like these protests because they're not on his ideological uh, narrative. So he's going to lock down your free, your bank account. At the same time, Trudeau says you can no longer uh, buy, sell, or transfer handguns. Think about all that. All these countries have in common is dr- drastic, draconian COVID lockdown measures. None of their now uh, Canada's well it's on its way to none of its citizens will be able to own guns, though it claims the law-abiding farmer, hunters and farmers still can. China and Australia can. Under, I think Australia under very, very special circumstances. But drastically, these, these countries, their citizens cannot arm themselves. All right, so that's the big backdrop here of what other countries are doing for gun rights. I'm going to pivot to the United States, and we're going to talk about what, where I think uh, the focus really should be. I don't think guns is the issue here, which I know is a, a drastic claim to be making. But there's correlation to some data, and I think it's very revealing. I want to go through it with you. According to Business Insider, Insider Biden was uh, quoted on how his plan is to combat gun violence. Okay, And he, he said, quote, if you wanted or if you think you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s. And maybe some nuclear weapons. End quote. Okay. Let's think about that for a moment before we continue on with other reporting. The point, the purpose of the Second Amendment was for individuals to be able to protect themselves to secure a free state. The founding fathers had grave concerns about a tyrannical government diminishing the rights of its citizens, which is why the Second Amendment is written in such a way that it cannot, a law cannot infringe your ability to own a weapon. That being said, there are a bunch of laws that infringe your ability to own weapons. For example, I cannot own a fully automatic weapon. Like I don't have a I don't own a gun range. I don't have certain licenses. So me just going out, I can't do that. I haven't been around since I think the '80s. As a matter of fact, you couldn't do that. So that's been that technically is infringing my right to bear arms. However, that's a regulation that has been passed and it's been around long enough that we're not pushing back on it. Here, Biden says you need an F-15 to take on the government. Meaning, basically, anybody with an AR and some pistols and other long guns, you'll never stand a chance against the government. Well, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, wasn't the Second Amendment written in order for me to defend myself against a tyrannical government? Isn't that the point? Now I actually have room to stand on here, saying, "Well, I should be able to own a F-15 film in order to protect myself against a government who has advanced weaponry like that." We don't do that. We we infringe our, our civilians' ability to earn own certain weapons because they are so deadly, because technology has advanced that much. But this is the what I'm pushing back on. There's an arrogance in D.C. that says, ha, you'll never take on the government, you and your buddies with AR-15s. You can never def- you know, push back against us, so don't even try. Which is why, in my belief, they are trying to continue, to continue, to continue to take away guns from Americans, like other countries abroad, when... The catalyst of a crisis ignites drastic government restrictions on its civilians. Those civilians are 
far less likely to push back against those lockdowns if they cannot actually get into a gunfight with some type of government official trying to enforce that lockdown. I think a big reason, one of the many, that why America came out of COVID so much faster. We're not even, even going to talk about vaccines or efficacy of vaccines or anything like that. A big part of why our our constitutional republic thrived despite all these lockdowns because those individual states had individual rights down to the local city council making decisions on what their civilians can do. This is why this is the greatest country in the world. This is why this, system, this type of government, though it's unbelievably frustrating and disappointing at times, it functions so well because it takes you, the individual, liber- the individual to the highest regard. Sometimes, you, frankly, you get screwed. Sometimes, and most of the time, we are protected. And that's what we should always be pushing for, so that individual to be protected at all cost. So let me continue on in that same report from Business Insider. Uh, Biden also said there had always been limits on what kinds of weapons people could legally own. Quote, the Second Amendment, from the day it was passed, limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own. You couldn't buy a cannon. The point is that there has always been an ability to limit, rationally limit, the type of weapon that can be owned and who can own it, end quote. Uh, Biden also said his administration would adopt a zero-tolerance approach towards gun dealers who violate existing law. Sure, I'm on board with that. The president has long pushed for gun control legislation, including a ban of assault weapons. There's that most ridiculous phrase again, assault weapons. I'm not even sure what that means. Any weapon, any gun I ever own, it's designed to assault something. That's the point. An assault sounds like I'm going out to do some harm. This, frankly, all my guns that have never been fired in a gunfight could be called defense weapons because that's what I buy them for, for defense of me, my family. That's what they are. They're defense weapons. If assault is to say they're, I'm, that weapon was designed to go out with its owner only to do harm to the innocent, which is a ridiculous phrase, but that's, the, that's what they're trying to drive at with this narrative. This is what other countries have done, and this is how when you see a crisis like COVID, we can all relate to, that's why I'm using it, this is what happens when civilians, the population is unarmed. They have nothing to push back against the government. They have nothing. Let's continue on. Because now I'm going to pivot why I think the real reason is behind gun violence, broadly speaking. Like, why does it exist? And I'm going to give you statistics. We're going to go through data. But I want to point out something we haven't even covered in this episode today is the rate of single fatherhood. Can I give you some data from Pew Research here? The number of single father households has increased about ninefold since 1960, from less than 300,000 to more than 2.6 million single father households in 2011. In comparison, the number of single mother households increased more than fourfold during that time period, up from 8.6 million in 2011 from uh, 1.9 million in 1960. It is this issue that I truly believe drives violence. I'm speaking mostly for men here. Why is it that boys and men are going to do random acts of violence on others? Why does that happen? It is my belief that the data revealed here you have single mother or single father households, when you do not have a nuclear family, especially when you have no father in the home, 
this is why you see violence in young boys and young men because they have no one to guide them to show them what a man is supposed to be, how a man's supposed to act, what that character, integrity, and so forth looks like. You might not like it. You think there might be any format to be a family. I completely disagree. I'm a believer that if boys are meant to thrive in society, they have to have a man and a father to guide them, a, a continuous daily presence of a father figure in their lives has to happen. And I think it's right here in this data that illustrates why there has been gun violence in our country. Now I'm going to go into the actual numbers of gun violence day of the United States. But before I do, before I close out today's episode, let me give a shout out to U.S. Kinetic. Okay, U.S. Kinetic. This is a tactical gear company, and their mission is to empower their customers to protect themselves and their communities with the highest quality tactical gear. Founded by former Force Recon Marine Mike Lindsay, he understands the importance of having reliable, high-quality gear in demanding situations. You'll find a link below in today's show notes sending you to a view their amazing gear us connect provides its customers my personal favorite is their lineup of individual first aid kits that you can keep in your car or at home if there's ever a medical emergency you're ready to go highly recommend you follow us kinetic on social media you'll love their gear so let me close out today's data with some uh or today's episode with some data from uc davis this was a report came out in may 2021 this starting with the death rates from motor vehicle collisions and death rates from firearms. So get some binary options here. This data goes from 1950 to 2019. So we have 70 years here, it's pretty good. Death rates in from motor vehicle collisions in 1950, this is death per 100,000 people of the population. There were approximately 23 deaths per 100,000 people from motor vehicle collisions in 1950. From deaths from firearms in 1950 per 100,000 of the population was around eight. Okay, so let's just use that right there. A lot more people dying from motor vehicle collisions than there were firearms in 1950. Over the next 70 years, <clears throat> death rates from motor vehicle collisions they moved up and down, but trended downward. To in 2019, you're looking closer to 12 deaths per 100,000 people. While that, excuse me, that original number of deaths from firearms, which is around eight, it ticked up a little to about 12 people per 100,000 population. So now, in the last few years, deaths from motor vehicle collisions and firearms are essentially the same, okay? Essentially the same, or very, very close, therefore. Now, death rates from firearm suicide and homicide. This is really one I want to focus on. So, firearm deaths between suicides or homicides, right? So this goes from 1981 to 2019, so about 40 years of data here. In 1981, deaths from suicide were around 7 per 100,000 population. And in 2019, they're around 7.2-ish. So they're, they kind of wavered up and down, but more or less have remained flat. So suicides for the last 40 years from firearms per 100,000 people, the population have kind of stayed the same. Deaths from firearms from in homicides in 1981 were below 7, maybe around 6.8 per 100,000 population, and they're down to below 5, around 4.7. So 
So suicides have essentially stayed the same. Let me go through the deaths from firearms by intent. So they're measuring four things, suicide, homicide, unintentional, those are like accidents, and then undetermined, things they kind of figure out. Less than 1% of all firearm homicides occur in public mass shootings. So there's 100 homicides. Less than one of those was a public mass shooting. I understand that's all we hear, and it's tragic on the news when they occur. That's all that ga- you know gathers attention on the news. But that is less than 1% of all homicides. Last piece here. When you look at measuring whites, blacks, or Hispanics and death rates from firearm, firearm homicides. These are just males being measured in 2019. The prime age group that most of these men are dying is ages 20 to 29, approximately, just looking at the graph. Overwhelmingly, blacks represent 98, 97 per 100,000 of the population in these homicide deaths versus uh, whites are closer to, say, five. Hispanics are closer to, like, 18. I'm just kind of looking at the graphs here. But that's more or less what it represented. This is why I pivoted to that point about single father homes and single mother homes. When young men are trying to figure out their way in this life, and it's in that early, late teens to early 20s, if they don't have a guide a mentor, someone to show them the way forward and they grow up in challenging circumstances and they can't see a way out, violence can easily follow. And any tool, whether it's guns, pocket knives, trucks, violence is the issue here. It's a broken soul that is committing these massive acts of violence. So this is why I wanted to focus on the issue of what I believe is driving gun violence in particular, the in particular homicides. Those suicide numbers are so revealing. Why are young why are young people, why are people of any age group for that matter, committing far more suicides than there are homicides in America? I've always you hear me at the same time, America's the greatest country in the world. But why are so many people, particularly men, killing themselves? I understand why gun control becomes the the talking point of the day because it's an easy target. It's like, hey, this individual went to a mall and killed 10 people. It was with a gun. The gun's a problem. Let's focus on the gun, the tool, the tool itself. I truly believe if you could pluck all 300-plus million guns out of America today, like they're gone. Violence would continue in the United States. People would find a way. They would go get kitchen knives and stab each other. They would go get trucks and go into crowds on a sidewalk and kill others. There's a brokenness inside certain human beings. That brokenness is from evil that has infiltrated those 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 souls from a whole bunch of different ways. A lot of everybody's different. There are common trends between these individuals, but it's that brokenness that causes this kind of violence. And this is my biggest frustration. What I would like to see us talk about as a society is can we please be more, have a more nuanced discussion about why our own civilians are killing each other? Why are Americans killing each other in any capacity, whether it's guns or otherwise? Why are men killing themselves? 
Why are women committing suicide? Can we work on our society versus just talking about the tool that was committed this crime? I brought this whole episode, and I'm closing out with this, under the backdrop of what happens with when you have a, a global pandemic, a, a global crisis. Those individuals, those countries that don't have the ability to defend themselves from their government can cannot push back. There's nothing they can do beyond protest in the streets, which often turn violent because of their frustrations. It might be very difficult to swallow, but in order to enjoy the immense individual freedom we have in the United States, you have to recognize a very large part of that freedom is enjoyed because you as the individual can defend yourself from a tyrannical government. I'm not concerned about tools like guns in the hands of broken people. What I'm concerned about is how did those people become broken? What is wrong with our the heart of our society that people would kill each other and kill themselves in these kind of numbers? That's what I want to figure out. I believe I have a handful of ideas of what's relating to it. I, I talked about you know, young men in particular growing out with growing up without a father in the home. And I think it's a huge part of it. Why are fathers not in their homes? Why are we not doing our jobs and sticking up for our families and being men and sticking around and doing our job? What has happened there? This is not the focus of Brief Before Impact by any means. But I hope you can see how I drew together Australia, China, and Canada under these circumstances from COVID and how if the United States were to pursue an anti-gun path any future crisis that happens where Americans aren't armed either to protect themselves from petty crime in our communities or from a tyrannical government that does not protect you the individual and that is what America is founded upon is your liberty to go out and live life and have to find your own path. And America, as flawed as it has been and will continue to be, in my view, has allowed that to thrive better than any other country in the world. So thank you for joining me. Again, go give uh, U.S. Kinetic a look. They've got some great gear. As always, I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down. I am Matt Parker. This is Brief Before Impact. (laughs) 